Welcome to Why Aren't We All? I'm your host, Aislinn Addington, and I like to have short conversations with people who have a belief, practice, or lifestyle that they feel makes their world a better place and has the potential to make the world a better place for the rest of us as well. Why Aren't We All is a proud member of the Cage Club Podcast Network. Stop by cageclub.me to browse their catalog of shows. They have some fantastic podcast offerings. Find your new favorite podcast at cageclub.me. On today's show, I'm exploring why aren't we all visiting a urologist with special guest, Dr. Mark Walterskirchen. Hi, Mark. Hello, Aislinn. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing? Excellent. Uh, We should disclose that you are not my urologist um, because you are my uncle and my godfather. That is correct. Very proud. (laughs) So we could have done a podcast about you being my godfather, but I thought this was probably more applicable to other people. This is true. So just to start off, can you tell us how you decided that urology was your particular passion in the medical world? You bet. First, maybe I'll clarify, you know, so for some folks, they may not understand or know what urology is, because I think that scares a lot of folks off, because when they may have a problem or a question, they don't know who to go to. So Urology is the study of the um, what we call the genital urinary tract that involves um, everything, including the kidneys, the ureters, the bladder, in men, prostate, infections, cancer, kidney stones. It's a wide gamut. And uh, my interest in, in urology came about after I had done some time with general surgery and was exploring a career option and spent time with a, a urologist back in Montana and came to fall in love with it. It's a broad spectrum of surgery and medicine. We do a lot of uh, treatment options that do not involve surgery. And then we also do a lot of complex cancer and reconstruction. Um, So every day is a different day. One day I'm dealing with uh, bladder infections, the next kidney stones, and the next uh, prostate cancer. So every every day is different and it involves a lot of technical skills or or surgical skills to be able to accomplish all that. And before you knew urology, when did you decide in general that you wanted to pursue medicine? I knew I was going to be a physician when I was just a, a little kid. Probably when I was about 10 or 11, I knew medicine was for me. I was working on all the gophers, frogs, and, and fish around the, the cabin. Um, <laughs> and when I was in seventh grade, I went into the guidance counselor at my junior high there in Kalispell and said, what classes do I need to get into medical school? And she <laughs> gave me a sideways glance and realized I was serious and I was off and on my way. Not not something she heard from every no, know, sixth no. grader who walked in. Oh, not at all. And it's been a wonderful career. Let's can we talk for a minute about the preventative medicine side of seeing someone like a urologist? I, I think and that and that's good. There's there's two things that we kind of focus on is one preventative and then two screening. You know, what are things that maybe we can't prevent, but let's see if we can pick them up early. Because um, I think that's a, as equally important rather than waiting to have problems. Preventive medicine in, in, in urology is, is, is a lot like medicine in general. Just, you know, healthy eating, good lifestyle. Folks that, say, for example, are smokers have a much higher risk of cancer, particularly uh, bladder cancer. Um, lung cancer is, is number one with, with smoking, but also uh, bladder cancer is associated with, with smoking. So if we, we eliminated smoking, that would, would drastically cut our bladder cancer numbers. And in, in terms of generalized, you know, healthy living, preventive medicine, you know, diabetes is, is in many patients preventable, healthy lifestyle, weight loss. 
and that can avoid a lot of the side effects that you see in terms of, of urology, which is bladder infections, folks that have to go to the bathroom too often, um, incontinence or leakage of urine. So I think, you know, again, it's, it's a lot with medicine in general, just healthy living. Mm-hmm. And that's a good way. Now, a lot of our cancers that we deal with are not necessarily preventable, but they're screenable and able to pick up you know, sooner and, and while it's still uh, the ability to cure them. So for someone who, I, I, when you're um, talking about cancer screening, it makes me think of things outside of urology as well, like having breast imaging done, whether it's a, a mammogram or the other one with the wand, ultrasound, ultrasound, things like that, that can be the idea of going and getting that done can be scary to folks. Yeah. So what, um, what do you say to folks that have not had those kinds of screenings and maybe I think it's time, but are, are hesitating? Sure. Well, I think with urology, everybody thinks of urology as I only take care of little old men. You know, I take care of all ages. And in, for the younger listeners, you know, for men, we, we worry about testicular cancer. That's a disease of kids in their teens and 20s. And so we see patients for that. Screening for that is simply a self-exam. In the shower, we recommend weekly do an exam. If you feel something funny or lump, you need to alert your primary care or, or get in to see a urologist where a simple ultrasound can detect if, if there's anything suspicious. Most times it's not, but um, it, it's, it's a very curable disease in young folks if it's picked up early. As we go down the line, uh, screening-wise, uh, for men, it's, it's an exam that they don't like and, and a blood test called a PSA beginning at age 50, unless you have a, a family history of prostate cancer, your father, your uncle. Then we recommend begin screening at, at age 40. Um, also, African-American men are much have a higher risk of a bad prostate cancer. So there are recommendations for African-Americans as age 40 as well. Other cancers we deal with, things like kidney cancer or bladder cancer, is one that there really is no reliable screening, but it's just picking up on, on symptoms. Folks that notice blood in their urine, that's something that they need to communicate to their uh, primary care. So I think first and foremost, it's at any age, it's important to have a a good, reliable primary care physician, nurse practitioner, PA, and it's available in a lot of different formats. You know, you've got traditional clinic offices. There are clinics now that run out of Walgreens and CVS and things like that, but it's important. If something doesn't seem right or doesn't um, feel right, it's important to, to get it checked out because the long-term costs of, of ignoring things um, for a variety of reasons, folks don't want to see the doctor, and unfortunately, a lot of times it's it's a monetary. Folks just don't have the resources. You know, what, what can be expensive now, if you ignore it, a year from now is just incredibly expensive. So mm-hmm. it's important to, to recognize if something's not right, best to get it checked out. I didn't realize that prostate cancer was of a, I don't know, is it a higher concern to younger people? Or is that new information? Or am I just behind because I don't have a prostate? You don't have a prostate, so it's there's been a lot of debate regarding prostate cancer. We we acknowledge that if you live long enough, a man, uh, you'll get prostate cancer. They've done uh, pathological oh, wow. studies that men in their 80s that have died for some other reason, they do autopsy, and over 50% will have some degree of prostate cancer in their in their body, but it probably wasn't going to give them any bother. So we say in a lot of men, you're going to die with it, not from it. 
That being said, what I tell my patients is the prostate cancer is a lot of, a lot like Baskin Robbins ice cream. Baskin Robbins ice cream has 31 flavors. You got everything from vanilla to Rocky Road and everything in between. It's all ice cream. It's just different flavors. Well, prostate cancer is kind of the same way. There are different flavors of prostate cancer. There's the vanilla that you're going to live with and it's not going to give you problems for 20 years. And there's the Rocky Road that's going to get you in six months and everything in between. So it's our job to determine, you know, what flavor of prostate cancer you have and do you need treatment? And so that's where the screening comes in. And like I said, folks that have a family history, you know, that's a that's a big red flag. That's that's something we need to be aware of and, and start following very closely. And like I said, it's a, a simple blood test and a, a relatively simple exam in the office. I'm learning so much already. <laughs> so we've covered things a little bit, but I, I just want to ask specifically, why should everyone or, or should everyone be you know, prepared to go get a screening of some kind? Well, I think it's, it's a matter of, is this something that you can prevent and the quality of life? If this is something that if it's whatever we're screening for, if it's something that we can prevent early death or side effects of that, whatever that disease is, it's much easier to treat and in many cases cure if it's picked up early. So folks that notice something abnormal or they're debating about whether they want to go in and get this test, it's a matter of you know what, what your long-range goals are. Do you want to be still alive in 20 or 30 years or are you a gambling person and say, ah, odds are I don't have anything wrong with me and I'll, I'll, I'll risk it. I think that's kind of the goal of, of screening is it's trying to pick something up that is preventable or treatable when it's in that stage rather than waiting until it's too late. Because that's sure. as a physician, there's nothing more frustrating when we see a patient that we, you know, if we had seen them a year, two years, three years earlier, we, we could have cured them and right. seen them and, and, you know, we don't have a lot of things we can do for them. And that's very frustrating. It's very sad. Absolutely. And, and is that particular scenario something you would say you see often of somebody coming in where? Oh, I saw, I saw it twice on Friday. Okay. A span of 30 minutes, folks with bladder cancer that they ignored blood in their urine for a long time. It's a bummer, but I'm glad they, they found you when they did. So screening, it, it, as you said, is one part of prevention. Then you mentioned some general health things that that also are beneficial for, you know, urology specifically, but then just more broadly, what, what are your general health recommendations for folks? General lifestyle changes would be, you know, don't take up smoking or quit smoking. If you do Um, try to avoid processed foods, you know, good, healthy diet, uh, fruits and vegetables, avoid a heavy diet of meat. Um, There have been studies, for example, in, in our business, protein high, such as steak, is associated with with uh, prostate cancer. So they have done studies in the past where they have looked at uh, Japanese culture and that prostate cancer is not necessarily very prevalent in Japan. And then they analyzed or looked at studied uh, the Japanese folks that moved to Hawaii and adopted more of a, a little bit more of a Western diet and their risk mm-hmm. of prostate cancer crept up a little bit. Hmm. And then uh, these same folks that moved to San Francisco, they analyzed and their level of prostate cancer climbed similar to US. And it's felt that the basic difference in all those were diet. Oh, wow. A lot of seafood, fresh to processed foods. Mm-hmm. So um, everything obviously in, in, in moderation, but if we could get rid of tobacco use, that'd be huge. 
you know, I see a lot of folks, one of the things we also treat is, is folks that have leakage of urine or incontinence um, can be related to, to what they drink. Because I see many times folks will come in a, with a two liter jug of, of, of sweet tea from uh, mm -hmm. and they're wondering why they go to the bathroom all the time. So it's, it's little things like that, the, the lifestyle that can play such an important role in terms of quality of life. I, mean, I think that's what, our, what we all want is a good quality of life that we can control and we're not having to take, you know, 15, 20 meds a day, right? making things worse. Yeah, that makes sense. So in that, within those parameters, which, which seem reasonable, you know, from the outside, but I know, I know it's tough. I, I personally have a problem with Diet Coke that I'm not looking for a solution for at the moment. What do you find is, is difficult for people um, when you're recommending those lifestyle changes? Are there things that, that folks are resistant to changing it, that you come across? Oh, oh very much so. I, I think monetary, they, they want to argue or not necessarily argue, they want to negotiate with me. And I'm like, I'm hmm. not, not in a position to negotiate. I can give you the facts. <laughs> what you do with it is, is your choice. You're, you're, you're a grown adult. You can decide, okay, I'm bothered by going to the bathroom every hour, hour and a half, but I really like my Mountain Dew. I said, mm -hmm. you have to decide one of the two. And that's that's very tough sometimes to kind of communicate how those changes affect folks. Um, and, and the obesity that goes along with a lot of that in terms of calories and being overweight and the effect, you know, that has on the risk of diabetes and the effects it has on kidney stones and bladder issues going to the bathroom. Again, it's just a, a lifestyle choice. And if folks are willing to accept <laughs> those side effects, yeah, they can they can go have their four liters of Mountain Dew every day and their two pizzas. But um, <laughs> it's all it's like anything in life. It's moderation. It's sure. it's you know. But yeah, it's it's people sometimes don't want to accept the fact that what they're doing or their the consequences of their actions. They think mm -hmm. that they should be immune from that, and that's that's a hard point to get across sometimes. Sure. And I would think from your perspective where you're seeing it day in, day out, and you're, you're seeing those larger patterns and the, you know, we all are only, you know, in charge of our own story. So, you know, an individual person might not, you know, put those things together um, in the way that, that you could, because it's, it's your business that you, that you see every day. And that, I was going to say, that's a very good point because I do, it's, it's, and from a physician's standpoint, you have to keep that in mind too, because we do, we see these sorts of things five, 10 times a day. Mm -hmm. Many of these patients, this is the only time they're only exposure. And you have to kind of keep that in perspective too, when you're working with the patient. So what would the world look like if let's just say most people, if we won't say all of you, but like if most people were following those recommendations that that you have for um, a healthier lifestyle. Let's start with that, and then I have a follow-up. But what, what, how would the world look different? I think that let's just say for let's let's eliminate one thing: tobacco use, smoking, and that that's all. That's all. That I think you could have a whole series of podcasts on sure. that, that topic of, of rights and responsibilities, personal freedom, and things like that. But let's just say, for the sake of argument, that um, the entire tobacco crop was wiped out in the world. So nobody smoked. Cardiac uh, disease would almost go away. Bladder cancer would drop dramatically. As a result of all this, and I, you know, I don't, I've seen the numbers, I've seen the statistics, I can't think of them off the top of my head. 
the healthcare costs, the amount of money we spend each year would plummet, plummet in terms of, of what we as a nation are spending for healthcare. Um, cardiac disease is, is one of the big, big ones. And I'm not a cardiologist, but I, I know for a fact that if tobacco was eliminated, smoking, heart disease would, would you know, be far less uh, heart attacks, far less bypass surgeries. And so I think it's, as a society as a whole, uh, it would benefit us from a, you know, from a financial standpoint in terms of the healthcare dollars that we're now spending on these things. Um, but lifestyle, folks would be healthier. They would, they would live longer, uh, more productive. And so I think that's kind of what we look at when we say changing, changing lifestyle. That's our goal is to, I think, keep people out of the hospital, keep people out of the, the doctor's office. I'd love to be less busy because people are, but you know, those are, those are kind of things we, we have to look at. Sure. What about the sort of, uh, I have another hypothetical question, the other side of things. What if we could eliminate that, um, I don't know, is it fear, is it stigma around going to get a screening for things? Well, I think we'd see a, a, a huge improvement. I'll give you an example. It's kind of a funny example. But when, when uh, Viagra was released, I believe 98 or 99, all of a sudden, men were coming in to get that weren't were coming in to get. They wanted to come in and see about the little blue pill. So we were we were able to capture a population that normally wouldn't would not have anything to do with us. They did not want to come see us. So I think that there was a, a correlation there between people coming in to see, and we were picking up disease sooner because now the stigma or the fear was a little lessened because they they wanted that darn little blue pill. <laughs> We were able to pick up and, and see disease. So I think it's it's education, you know, something along these lines. Your, your podcast is educating people. You know, what, what are the benefits? What You know, nobody likes to go see the doctor. Nobody likes to be examined, sit in that goofy little gown on the table if they're, <laughs> they're exposed. But again, you're looking at the long-term, long-term, what, how does this affect me 20, 30 years down the road? And, and I think you also have to, how does it affect my family? I'm dealing with a... Uh, um, someone young man and he's got a wife and a couple kids and he's avoiding this screening you know how does that affect them so i think it's 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 it hits screening hits on many levels not just from a patient standpoint but everybody that's involved with that patient true true i i it's interesting that you know when urology got sexy if you will yeah. uh, it incentivized people to come in so that you could, you know, do some of that preventative care, even if that wasn't the, what their the primary reason for right, being there. their primary reason, their motivation for it. Interesting. I uh, these guys will come in and they'll say, "Yeah, the only reason I'm here is because my wife made me." Mm. Um, they really don't want. I think it's by far men are far more reluctant to come in and and be screened and be evaluated and you know talk about their their issues. And so I think you know the the Viagra the all those commercials that we see on people, it makes it a little easier for men to talk about it and, and less reluctant to, to be to be seen and examined. So, Sure. And it's, it's too bad that there is that hesitance, I think. But if, if you need the excuse of somebody else made me, at least you're still in the chair. Let's speak to that reluctance a little bit. And, and can you tell us, well, first, let's um, again go over maybe reasons to go whether to go to your urologist or um, just to tell your primary care about something, what are what are kind of some typical reasons that that people should alert someone 
Well, I, again, it, it's there's such a wide range in urology, but things, if something doesn't seem right, if you're seeing blood in your urine, something you just don't feel right, um, you're having a, a lot of bladder infections, for example, can be can be a tip off, you know, pain. We all have pain, um, but something that's different or new, that's something to be be picked up or you got a funny lump or a bump. You know, an ultrasound is, is an easy test that can evaluate for a lot of different things. And it's, and it's relatively expensive. And, and again, unfortunately, especially in screening, many times finances play a role. People, they don't want to spend the money or don't have the money, unfortunately, to come in to see their primary care and, and get something checked out. And that's, that's, that's the shame. I mean, that's, um, that should not be, people should be able to get in and, and be seen um, for something like that. And I think these, like I said, the dock in a box is a, is a potential, not a permanent, not, not necessarily a permanent solution, but it's a, a bridge between senior or established with a primary care and then being referred into to the appropriate specialist from there. Sure. A good first step. Absolutely. Yeah. The financial piece, as um, you and I have talked about in the past, I don't understand how as humans, if we figured out how to do all these amazing things, why we charge each other so much for them. <laughs> but then also an issue that I've come across a lot with primary care and with some of the specialists that I'm referred to is the wait time that you have three, four months is standard. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge. I mean, for, and it's on, on so many levels, uh, part of it is, you know, are there enough specialists, you know, to, to, to fill the gap? Um, and I think um, nurse practitioners or PAs are doing a wonderful job to kind of bridge that gap and cut down on that delay and being seen. And hopefully it's communicated to the specialist because when I get a referral, I can look and say, okay, this person needs to be seen now or this, this can wait. You know, we don't have to bump somebody else or, you know, expedite things. And it's, it's kind of screening for that. But for every patient, you know, what they have, it's important to them. It, you know, it's, sure. it's their, their, their body, they're concerned about it. But yeah, the delay in time and, and then specifically urology, there is a, there is a shortage. Um, when I was in training 20 years ago, at that time, Medicare felt we had too many urologists. And Medicare is how they pay or fund for residency programs. And so if they said, we're not going to pay you as much, then the programs shut down, not shut down, they uh, cut back on how many residents they put out each year. And so now we're seeing that delay or shortage of urologists as a lot of older urologists retire. So there's a big gap. And unfortunately, the population that's entering into their senior years, which is where we see majority of our patients, mm -hmm. is expanding hugely. And so less urologists, more patients mean, you know, more wait time. Um, but like I said, the nurse practitioner, PAs, uh, advanced practitioners are, are helping to fill that gap and, and getting folks in and seeing more reasonable time frame. Those are, you know, excellent reasons to go see someone. Can you tell us, and I know it's tough because every day is different, but what should someone expect if they have not been to a urologist before? What what does a first appointment tend to look like? Well, I think it, it depends on the, on the reason coming back, but many times we're going to ask somebody to provide us a urine sample because we're going to look, look for blood or infections. It's always important to come to the urologist with a full bladder. <laughs> uh, we may do um, an exam. We'll definitely do an exam, but it depends on how in-depth. Sometimes we have to do 
for folks that have bladder issues, we may put a small scope and actually look inside the bladder in the office. It's a done under local, takes all of about 10, 15 seconds. Not the highlight of folks' stay, but mm-hmm. by actually physically laying our eyes on what's going on inside the bladder, it can be a huge treasure trove of information in terms of telling us, okay, is there something bad going on? Do we have to worry about? Or, nope, everything looks fine. Reassure you, and, and that's all we need to do. So I think it's just a good exam, top to bottom, possibly a scope, but definitely we always like to collect collect urine on those first visits. And depending on what we see, you know, we may elect everything's fine, but let's let's see you back in three months, six months, a year, depending on the circumstances, and keep an eye on you. Keep a close follow-up that yearly visit or six-month visit. In men, it might be a blood test, you know, in six months. In women, it's just, you know, how if you're on medication or if we've got you on physical therapy, how's that working? Things like things along those nature. I mean, that does not sound that different than your average doctor's appointment. So hopefully, uh, we've helped a little bit with um, some apprehension that might come with <laughs> uh, going to see a urologist. Do you also do vasectomies? Um, we do. Yeah, uh, that is one of our our areas of specialty. Um, unless you work for a Catholic health organization, and then you might have to go elsewhere to do those. But that's a that's a whole nother that's topic. That's another episode. <laughs> uh, but yes, I'll just have traditionally been the, the go-to person for uh, vasectomies. Okay. Could you give us your 30 seconds of it's not that bad with vasectomies? Uh, it's not that bad. It's done. It's a approximately a 15-minute procedure done with some oral anxiolytic such as Valium. And then a local anesthetic. And so anybody that's been to the emergency room and had to get stitches at some point in time, they'll know the stick and a burn from the local anesthetic. And and that's pretty much the extent of it. So it's a, a stick and a burn and about a 15-minute procedure. Folks will get comfortable with a bag of frozen peas or, or corn for the weekend. And then usually by Monday, they're, they're good to go. We don't want folks to do anything too strenuous uh, afterwards. But but as I tell my folks, uh, you know, when they get done, head back home. Lay down on the couch, get a bag of frozen peas and a remote control, and hang out for the weekend. Nice. Excellent. I know that was leading the witness, but I just, I felt like it's um, an important one. I feel like there's a lot of, I don't know, jokes about vasectomies just in the world. And any, I mean, anytime you're talking about male genitals, I feel like there's a lot of uh, apprehension and, and maybe some insecurity and masculinity so fragile yeah. and all that. So I just wanted to let people know it's not that big a deal. It's not. It's it's a it's a good option for folks that are for whatever reason they they are pursuing that form of birth control. It's a it's a very simple, very safe, low key, and and relatively comparatively to the other options, relatively reasonably priced. Yeah. And some insurance, I believe, covers it. So. Nice. Well, yes, check that out if you if you fit into the categories of people we're talking about. Sure. I want to sort of end on some the good news about all of this. Do you have an anecdote or a memory about, you know, some folks that came in and, and were able to make those lifestyle changes and, and kind of left better than when they when they first saw you? Oh, yeah, I think I think probably the biggest example I have is is, is a younger woman um, who had a couple of children and now they're leaking urine, a little overweight and they're enjoying their Mountain Dew and we get them in with physical therapy and they've lose some weight and all of a sudden they're, they're not incontinent anymore and they're just absolutely ecstatic. <laughs> so, 
just a few lifestyle changes. And it's, you know, these are many times folks that, you know, want to go out and be active with their children. I didn't realize trampolines were such a popular. Oh. Uh, well, these young moms can't get on the trampoline. Yeah. Oh, gosh. They, they make these lifestyle changes and suddenly they're out, out with the kids playing and they are just as happy as can be. So <laughs> fun thing. Excellent. So that's an example where you didn't get to a point where a surgical option was necessary. No, not everybody needs surgery. And I always, always remind folks that there are many times there are other alternatives. And so just because you come to see me does not mean you're going to get an operation. <laughs> well, that's good because I, I always like coming to see you, but I don't like operations. So, <laughs> Mark, what tell us a couple things you like to do in your spare time now that we know you as an expert of all things urologic. But what else are you an expert in? I have been known to dabble in the theater arts and <laughs> Yep. Uh, certain times during the year, and but I enjoy being outside. I, I like to play golf, and uh, I'm a, a big fan of of dogs and puppies, so I spend a lot of time with that. But uh, any free time I get that I'm available, um, you'll know you'll find me back home on on Flathead Lake. That's a true story, and I am on my way there in just a few days. By the time this episode drops, I will be on my airplane, ready, ready to be at the lake. Well, thank you again so much for chatting today. My pleasure. So if you wanted to ask Mark in particular a question, you could check out Mercy Hospital, Springfield, Missouri, urology. Yeah. Or again, I think our, our main kind of point here is check back with a primary care doctor. Um, if you're able to establish care with, with a doctor or PA or um, whoever you're comfortable with, and just, yeah, let's try to get comfortable with these things because it sounds like uh, we would all be a little bit happier if we were a little bit healthier. Exactly. Well put. Uh, once again, we want to say thank you to the Cage Club Podcast Network for entertaining this short series from me. Find them at cageclub.me or on Twitter at cageclubpod. If you would like to get in touch, please find me at sassynerdmt on Twitter. Weigh in on our topics. And uh, yeah, tell us tell us what you like. I would I was about to say tell us what we should cover, but this is the last official episode of Why Aren't We All? Mark, you are our grand finale. Going out with a fireworks bang. Absolutely. But I'll tell you this, folks, stay tuned. We do have an encore episode coming next month. So thank you all for listening. Thanks, Mark, so much for chatting with us. My pleasure. Come back again for more. Why aren't we all?